Welcome back to season two of the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, equipping you to successfully pursue the college of your dreams. We believe everyone deserves to reach their full potential and the admissions process shouldn't hold you back. Motivation is overrated. It really is. I keep getting questions from parents and teenagers alike asking, how do I motivate my teen? Or how do I develop my motivation so that I can go and become the kind of person that I want to be? And that's a fair question. But I think it's really an important question to look at seriously. And my answer surprises everyone, right? Because motivation is truly overrated. Think about it for just a second. Motivation is not the key to winning. If you're looking at a competition, say a basketball game, both the winning team and the losing team are highly motivated to win. It's not motivation that differentiates the winners from the losers. And it gets worse because motivation leaves you wanting fast results. When you're motivated and you have this kind of flash of brilliance and this, this whirlwind of energy to go and accomplish something, you want to accomplish something within the time frame that that energy lasts. You want to get fast results. But real excellence, the kind of training and the kind of, of expertise building that leads to winning actually doesn't happen fast. It happens through consistency over a very long period of time. And so that's kind of the third reason why motivation is overrated. Think about what mastery requires. It requires consistency over these flashes of energy. So you can't cram an instrument if you don't practice whatever your instrument is, and then you have a recital in six months, you don't just cram the night before and say, I'll just study really, really hard the two days or the day before the, the recital. You have no chance because music requires that you develop that skill over time. And also you can't cram true excellence. It's not just music. It's every field of genuine excellence. It can't be crammed. It's something that builds over time. Think about consistently playing scales. You play every single day up and down the scales on your musical instrument, and it's boring. But motivation will only overcome that boredom for so long. And speaking of that, you know, there are a lot of other things that stop motivation, not just boredom. Uh, if you wake up with a headache, or you didn't get enough sleep, or you have some stress in your life because of relationships or because of school or whatever, there's any number of things that can get in the way that can kill motivation. Just like boredom can kill motivation, so can any of these other things. And so motivation is truly overrated, but here are a few ideas. I've just written down six that I think are kind of worth considering. These are things that work significantly better. Number one, your environment, okay? I think about the Harvard study at Massachusetts Hospital. I didn't go and look up exactly when it was, but it's not an old study. And what they wanted to do is see if they could change people's behavior without ever interacting with them, without ever saying anything to them, without communicating in any way verbally or directly. All they wanted to do was change the environment and see if it changed behavior. And so they took the cafeteria line and they changed where water was accessible and where soda was accessible. And within a short period of time, they discovered that just by changing how easy it was to see the water versus the soda, people were drinking 25% more water and 11% less soda. And then when you talk to people, they all said that they had some reason for drinking water. They talked about how they wanted to drink water, right? They concluded internally that they chose that drink but Harvard concludes that they chose it because it was presented to them. It was available to them. And think about your own environments. Where do you study? 
Where do the couches or the comfortable seats in your house face? In many homes, they face the television set. And so, yeah, our lives are going to be built around watching television if that's our environment. But here's the thing. We do not have to be victims of our environment. We can be architects. One of the ways to do this, one of the ways to be an architect of your environment is to be proactive in removing cues or distractions, right? So I'm just going to take one quick example because I'm sure you can come up with many on your own. But look at your cell phone. Remove the apps from the phone to make it boring so that it's not distracting you so much. Leave the phone out of sight. Ask friends to watch you. You know how sometimes there's a swear jar, and if you say a swear word, you have to pay a dollar into the swear jar or whatever? Ask your friends to watch you or your parents to watch, and you agree to pay them $5 every time you, you slip up and use social media when you're not supposed to be using it. There are a number of different things you can do to create an environment where you are the architect of your success. The second thing, your peer group. I tell my students over and over and over again, you show me your five best friends, show me the five people you spend the most time with, and I can tell you your future. And it's not an exaggeration. Unless we are proactive about who we spend time with, we're going to kind of morph into a, an amalgam of those people. We're going to become more and more like the people we spend time with. But we can choose who we spend time with. And this is true even for adults, but it's especially true for teenagers. If you spend time with people who care about their bodies, who care about being in shape, you're going to be more motivated. You're going to naturally desire to get in shape. You're going to want to be more active. If you spend more time with people who care about their studies, you're going to do better with your studies and so on and so forth. This is rock solid. And you can look at the five people you spend the most time with and decide, do I want to be the amalgam, the average of these five people? Is that where I want my life to go? If not, you do have options. You might feel like you're limited because you only have so many students in your high school and only a certain percentage of them want to be friends with you. But there are groups of people. One of the biggest reasons why I love the Ivy League Challenge is because of the community, the fact that students can meet other ambitious teens from all over the world. But the Ivy League Challenge, which is my course, that is only one of many opportunities. If you feel like you need to step into a more ambitious peer group, do it. Find a solution, find a way to do it, and go for it. Whether that has to be online or it's in person, there are opportunities, there are options for you. Number three, your habits and your systems. Here's where I love the phrase, prime your environment, all right? So one of the things that you can do, it, when, once you realize that your motivation is only going to take you so far, your motivation is going to die out when it's killed by boredom or any number of other barriers, is you can shift your focus away from being motivated and setting goals towards creating systems in your life that lead to habits. Because human beings are very economical creatures, right? There's a reason why if you stop exercising muscles, they atrophy, they go away, they die. When you stop exercising your brain, it shrinks, literally. When you stop needing parts of your body, when you stop needing the muscle or needing the brain power, then the body sends less calories to or less resources to that part of the body. And we're very economical creatures. Well, one of the ways that we stay economical is we move into a, a, a less than conscious mode, depending on which study you look at, between 40 and 60% of our day. So a recent Stanford study uh, claims that we're about 60% subconscious. 
where we're just running on autopilot. And what happens is we take one or two seconds to begin the process. It's like we're driving onto the on-ramp of a highway, and that highway is the habit. The next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, three hours, depending on what the activity is, will all be automated. And automaticity is a powerful tool that the brain and the body uses to limit the amount of resources that are sent to thinking. So thinking takes a lot of calories, and if we can reduce the amount of thinking that we do, then we conserve those calories so that we can use them wherever we are using the energy, right? Whatever is important to us. So guess what? Once we understand that, we can hijack that. We can take full advantage and create systems and habits in our lives that allow us to just make a one or two second decision to get on the on-ramp, and then we automatically perform that habit that's healthy for us, all right? So those habits, the systems that we put in place, can be very healthy and can even be habits of doing things that are difficult. My son who is learning violin, he's now in the habit every day of doing his scales and going through the, the exercises that he does. And they're not easy, but he's in the habit and he has tremendous stamina for someone his age because he's developed this habit and this habit has developed him. So focus on your habits and your systems. Number four, in order for those habits and systems to take place, you need to master your self-talk and your self-identity. So when you start a habit, obviously it's not yet a habit. And we are economic people, right? Humans are very economic creatures. So we're not going to just start a habit that's difficult. We're not going to start using our muscles or using our brain power more than we need to when we are biologically programmed over you know, millions of years of evolution to be as economical as possible. So at first, of course, we're going to choose the distraction over the difficult thing, right? Because simple things like checking your social media or watching something on YouTube or whatever, those things require almost no effort and they feel wonderful in the moment, right? But I like to say we are borrowing happiness from the future for the present when we do those kinds of activities. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the activity right now feels great and later it feels empty and meaningless. But if we can flip that script, right, and instead of, of doing the easy thing right now, we choose to do the hard thing right now, guess what happens? It gets easier and easier and easier to do the hard things. And so that is really, really critical. It, the hard activities are hard in the short term, but have massive long-term benefits. And the easy activities are fun and easy in the short term, but have zero long-term benefits right? So we need to be aware of that when we try to create new systems or habits. How do we overcome this? My favorite trick, my favorite hack is my self-talk. I focus on the things that make this a rewarding activity. So if I've just studied really, really well, if I've just focused really, really well, when it's time for me to take my break, I stop, I stand up, I begin stretching, and my self-talk immediately clicks in. The self-talk goes like this. Wow, great job, Steve. And yes, I call myself by my first name and I talk to myself. I think it's a powerful tool. I've done it in sports all through you know, growing up. And now I talk to myself about anything that is important to me. And I just tell myself, man, nice job. That was incredible focus. You are going to benefit so much. You learned so much or whatever. Great job. Amazing. And then I go drink my water. I stretch out a little bit. I come back. And as I'm coming back to sit back down, 
I say to myself, man, this next 50 minutes is going to be amazing. And if your interval is less than 50, that's fine. This next 10 minutes, this next 15 minutes of focus is going to be even more amazing. I'm going to get even more done. That self-talk, believe it or not, is enough to shift your focus away from how difficult it is to be focused right now, how difficult it is to be disciplined. And it shifts the attention towards the result, the long-term benefit that's actually creating the life that you want for yourself. All right. That is so easy to do once you've developed the skill, but it's awkward at first. If you've never done positive self-talk with yourself, if you've never talked to yourself like this, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel disingenuous. It's going to feel, it's just going to feel weird. Be okay with feeling weird. It is important enough to develop the skill that you'll be glad that you did it. Okay. Just consider this one of those you know, one of those things that is a long-term perspective. You're going to have to pass through some awkwardness at first before you get to the re rewards. And so that's self-talk and self-identity. If you can identify, if you can self-identify as the kind of person who is successful in the things you want to be successful in, then you add self-talk to that. Man, nice job. Great, great focus. Great effort. You rocked it. Nice job running. Nice job studying. Nice job practicing, performing whatever it is, nice job doing that thing that made you scared, learn to do really, really effective self-talk with yourself. All right. Number five, we've already hinted at this a couple of times. These last two we've already talked about, but we're going to explicitly mention them. Number five is focus on consistency over grandeur, right? Don't try to do too much too soon. I find that so many teens have the ambition of a lion but they don't yet have the grit, they don't have the resilience, they don't have the experience, they don't have the know-how. And so they want to jump really high, but they just don't have what it takes to jump that high. And when they can't, they feel demotivated and disengaged. Don't fall into that trap, right? Don't try to do too much too soon. Start small and build momentum. I recorded an entire podcast just about this one element. And it's a game changer. If you haven't listened to it yet, listen to that podcast on Start Small and Build Momentum. There's a quick example of this. An, a, a, a photography professor at the University of Florida. Uh, he's retired now, but his name was Jerry Ulsman. And uh, he did something very interesting that I love. He split his class into two groups, just straight down the middle. If you happened to be sitting on the right side, then you were assigned to one group. If you happened to be on the left side, you were assigned to the other. To one of the groups, he said, your grade will be completely dependent on the quantity of your work. I will not look at all at the quality of your photography. So if you turn in 100 photographs by the end of the semester, that's an A. If you turn in 90, that's a B, 80, that's a C, and so on, right? Or whatever his numbers were. To the second group, he said, you just need to turn in one photo and I won't even look at more than one photo. You turn in your best photo, regardless of what it is, and that's what your grade will be based on. Well, guess where the best photographs came from? All of them came from the group that had their grades based on quantity. The group that went out and took photographs over and over and over again, they started getting bored with the first type of photograph and they started experimenting with new styles and new filters and new methods. And eventually they found things that they liked and they kept going with it. And they created high quality photography. The second group got stuck in the theory. They got stuck wondering what's the perfect photograph. 
how, what, learning about the perfect lighting and learning about how to get the perfect shot and all of the highest quality photographs came from the quantity group and not the quality group. That's important because we want to be consistent over a long period of time rather than focus on the one perfect photograph. And if you're consistent over time, you make connections in your brain and in your body and in your understanding, and you're able to kind of arrive at that higher quality work. The last one, focus, this is number six, create long-term perspective or operate in long-term perspective. Realize that a lot of the choices you make today, it's almost like you're at the top of a water slide, okay? And maybe there's eight different water slides in front of you and you can choose which one you want to go down on. But once you've made your choice, you have to let it run its entire course in order to make the choice again. Some of your choices are like that. You can't just slide down three or four meters, you know, 20 feet down and then decide to, you don't like this and stop and go back up. You have to let it run its course and then you come around. So the, the choices we make have consequences and it is better to think long-term about these consequences rather than being short-term. So we already talked about how if you want to live an easy life, if you want to uh, develop the skills and the expertise that make your life more enjoyable, then you have to make hard choices, right? Because the things that develop your skills and your expertise are hard. That's the focus, that's the boring activities, that's the mastery. Meanwhile, if you wanna have a hard life, then just focus on the easy things right now. Because sleeping in or playing on social media or eating junk food, those things feel good right now, they're very easy right now, and they lead to a hard life because they're not developing any of those skills. I want to add to this idea the fact that all of us, especially when we talk about motivation, all of us have this bias, this tendency to overestimate what we can accomplish in the short run and underestimate what we can accomplish in the long run. And for me, I like to add numbers to that. I say that most of us overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, and we dramatically underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. So worry less about what you can accomplish this semester, this year, and worry more about the kind of person you can become and the impact that you can have on your community over five years. As you focus on this long-term perspective instead of the short-term, you gain the desire to implement systems and to create the habits and to find the peer groups and design your environment and develop the self-talk, all of these things that you need to actually be successful, it becomes easier, it becomes more natural when your perspective shifts to the long-term. So there you have it. My argument for why motivation is overrated, completely overrated, and what to do instead. I've got six things for you here. Number one, environment. Number two, your peer group. Number three, habits and systems. Number four, your self-talk and self-identity. Number five, focus on consistency over grandeur. And number six, create long-term perspective instead of that short-term perspective. You can do this. You are just as capable of excellence and outstanding performance as anyone else. The key is, are you using these triggers that lead to success or are you trying to depend on willpower, which is only going to last so long? Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.